Let's pray together. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So, Father, I ask now that whether the song is new or old, you would put a song in the hearts of your people for times of suffering. And teach us from your word now about the relationship between singing and suffering in all of their manifestations. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my title is Singing, Suffering, and Scripture. And before I give you three relationships between singing and suffering, I want to linger for just a moment on singing. What do I mean by singing? What kind of singing do I have in mind when we talk about, in a few minutes, the relationships between singing and suffering. Psalm 100 begins like this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So come into his presence with singing. The kind of singing that I have in mind is singing done consciously before the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. Or to use the first phrase, make a joyful noise to the Lord. So when I think singing in this message, I'm thinking singing consciously in the presence of God and to God, so that God is our chosen audience. And I mean that even though Paul says in Ephesians 5.19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So even when we are singing in a room like this, a sanctuary like this, singing self-consciously so that the person next to us is singing with us and we are saying to them things about God, we should in our mind think I am in the presence of God and I am singing to God because Paul in verse 19 says, address one another in songs as you sing to the Lord. It's not either or, ever. It's both and in the kind of singing that I'm talking about. Then consider Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. So two words. It is good to sing praises, and a song of praise is fitting. Good and fitting. It's good to sing praises to our God. It should be fitting when we come into the presence of God with song. So linger over fitting and good with me for just a moment. I'm going to leave aside for people who know more than I do 
about what makes the musical component, the tune, fitting, good in the presence of God. And I want to simply suggest what verbal content and heart affections are good and fitting in the kind of singing I'm talking about. And here's my suggestion. When it comes to verbal content and heart affections, our singing in the presence of God is good and fitting when the singing expresses truth that accords with God's Word and affections that accord with God's worth. Let me say it again. A song is fitting, a song is good before God, in the presence of God, when we are expressing truth that accords with God's Word, and when we are expressing affections that accord with God's worth. Let me show you where I get that. When the psalmist cries out, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness, or I will sing of your strength, or I will sing aloud of your steadfast love, or they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, or my tongue will sing of your word. In every one of those cases, the assumption is the verbal content about the righteousness, the strength, the love, the ways, the Word of God are true. They line up with reality, God's Word. In fact, the psalmist says explicitly, my tongue will sing of your Word because all your commandments are right. That is, I'm going to sing about your word because your words line up with reality. They're right. What about affections that accord with God's worth? Go back to Ephesians 5.19. <clears throat> sing and make melody to the Lord, to the Lord, with your heart. What does that mean? With your heart. Singing that is good and fitting. In the presence of God, sung to God, God as our audience are not only verbally true and in accord with His Word. We don't misrepresent God in our singing but our singing also is authentically expressing affections in the heart that accord with God's worth. Why did, think of it this way. Why did God create singing in the first place? If God only wanted corporate worship to be marked by the true, accurate, clear recitation of truth about Him, why did He create and encourage in a hundred ways this thing we call 
singing, putting those words and that truth to music. Why did he do that? Let me give you Jonathan Edwards' answer because I think it's true. Here's what he says. The duty of singing to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music. But only this, that it is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move and express our affections. So, in summary then, when I speak about singing in the presence of God and to God, and then in relation to suffering, I have in mind singing that is good and fitting in these two senses. Singing that verbally expresses truth that accords with God's Word and gives expression to affections from the heart that accord with God's worth. So that's clarification for what I mean by singing. There's lots of kinds of singing, and that's what I mean by singing now as we go to the substance of this message, namely singing suffering and Scripture. That is, what do Scriptures say about the relationships between singing and suffering? And I'm going to mention three. As I've canvassed the Bible, asking God and His Word, how do you intend for singing to relate to suffering? I see at least these three answers. One, singing is stopped by suffering. Two, singing sustains in suffering. Three, singing follows after suffering. Each of those three relationships between singing and suffering exist because of three acts of providence. One, God's providence ordains that His people often suffer song-silencing affliction. Two, God's providence ordains that His people endure other measures of suffering and that we bear that suffering with singing. And third, God's providence ordains a day for His people when suffering will be no more and singing will last forever. So let's take those one at a time. Singing is stopped by suffering. James, in his letter, chapter 5, verse 13, says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? 
Let him sing praises. Now, James could have said, is anyone among you suffering? Let him sing sad songs. Because that will be true. There are sad songs that we are to sing in suffering. That's not what he said. James is owning, he's owning here, it seems, that there is suffering that can only get out groans of prayer, not songs of prayer. Proverbs 25, 20 gives us this counsel. Don't force a song on the heavy heart. Listen to what he says. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. <laughs> vinegar on soda. All you get is foam, useless foam, while the vinegar is ruined and the soda is ruined. An ill-timed song ruins the song and may ruin the soul. I think that's why Paul said in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because there is a kind of broken heartedness that needs silence, not singing. One example of that <clears throat> is the Jewish exiles in Babylon, remember? They were taken into Babylon, away from their home, and they were being taunted by their captors, like this, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our liars. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing to us of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So there are seasons of suffering that are too painful, too heavy, even for songs of lament. Time must pass. Perhaps the day will come, it will come, when there is sufficient emotional resources for sad songs. Until then, faith holds on in silence. Maybe the best, most painful, vivid example of songless suffering is Job and his three friends in their best moments at the beginning. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize Job. They raised their voices and wept and tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat 
with Job on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. No word, no song, because the providence of God ordained that Job would experience a song silencing affliction. He says to his wife, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. So the first relationship of the three that we're talking about is singing is stopped by suffering. Number two, singing sustains in suffering. Psalm 42, verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night a song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? That's an odd sequence of thought, isn't it? between the waves of God breaking over him on one side and a sense of abandonment on the back side, there's this middle moment of a song in the night. At night, his song is with me. In other words, the affliction here is very serious, but it is not a song silencing suffering. It is singing that sustains in affliction. King Josiah, he was a great king, mostly, like all great kings are mostly great. And he was killed in battle, and 2 Chronicles 35 says this. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah uttered a lament for Josiah. And all the singing men and all the singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they are written in the laments. Very often, tragedy in your life or in a nation, tragedy is born, carried, sustained in sorrowful memories with sad songs. Songs that don't pick at the wound, but sustain the sufferer in faith. And you, you know the story probably as well as I do, how the song, the hymn, it is well with my soul was born this way, right? Horatio Spafford had four daughters. They drowned at sea. 
And he wrote this song in response. And the response was a response of deep sorrow and strong faith. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll. That's a great line. You can feel it. You can see it on the ocean, and you can feel it. You felt it. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How many millions of people have sung that song at funerals and in worship and have been sustained in their own suffering. Paul and Silas were arrested, you remember, in Philippi for Christ's sake. And Luke says, the magistrates gave orders to beat Paul and Silas with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison. The jailer put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, why were they singing? Midnight. Backs with welts from the rods, feet in stocks, weary, uncertain about their immediate future. Why were they singing? And you might say, well, to be a witness to the, to the prisoners. Yes, yes. But that's not what Luke says. He says, they're singing to God. Why? Because they needed to experience God's Nearness and goodness and power and greatness. God was their sustainer, and they needed to commune with God. They needed to know God. They needed for God to draw near and be their sustainer, and it happened through singing. That's why they're singing. So, the second relationship between singing and suffering is that singing sustains us in suffering. This is probably the most common experience of God's people in this age regarding suffering and singing. The the day is going to come when there will be no more suffering. We'll get to that in a minute. And there is suffering that silences singing. But most of our lives Wouldn't you agree? Most of our lives are lived under the truth, life is hard, and God is good. For the last 3,000 years, let's say from the time of David on, for the last 3,000 years, whenever God's people have been conscious of this, life is hard, and God is good, the effect for 3,000 years has been thousands and thousands of faith-sustaining songs. (laughs) Sad songs, 
Happy songs that are sad, sad songs that are happy. The interpenetration of life is hard and God is good. Just ask yourself, what are your favorite hymns or spiritual songs? Which ones have touched you most deeply? Which ones have sustained you most powerfully over the years? And I dare say you would answer with me, the songs that were born out of suffering, the songs that give expression to pain and hope in pain. I have a Evernote file on my phone. The file is called Songs. It's got 139 of my favorite hymns. So I scanned them a few days ago just to see if this was borne out in my experience like I remember it to be. See if these don't strike a chord. Those who love the Father, though the storms may gather, still have peace within, yea, whate'er we here must bear, still in thee lies purest pleasure, Jesus' priceless treasure. When I come to die, oh, when I come to die, Oh, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Though he giveth or he taketh, God his children ne'er forsaketh. His the loving purpose solely to preserve them pure and holy. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, gives unto each day what he deems best, lovingly its part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. O oh, joy, that seekest me through pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn will tearless be. The greatest songs are born of the greatest suffering. That's just the way it is. I think we'll see why near the end. So at last we come to our third relationship, and that last 
song points to it. I feel the promise is not vain. Morn is going to tearless be. So, third relationship. Singing follows after suffering. There is coming a day, the beginning of an eternity, where there will be no more suffering. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the suffering, the former things, have passed away. So every, every time a saint comes to die, no matter how hard or easy the death may prove to be, that saint can always say or sing, I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. They can say that because Isaiah wrote this in chapter 35, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy <clears throat> and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So suffering is going to cease. Suffering stops singing, suffering sustains in, or singing sustains in suffering, and one day suffering will be no more. But suffering will not be forgotten because we will sing about it forever. Not our own, but Christ's. And they sang a new song, this heavenly vision. They sang a new song, Revelation 5. <clears throat> Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and made them a kingdom, priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We're going to sing that. A slaughter song forever. Singing will remain rooted in suffering forever. The greatest song will always be the song born in the greatest suffering. We will never forget the price Jesus paid so that forgiven sinners could sing forever to God. So, in conclusion, take heart. Though singing is sometimes stopped by suffering. Nevertheless, our most common experience in this world is that singing sustains in suffering. And if the slain Christ, listen carefully now, this is my last word, 
If the slain Christ is your song, then you and all the redeemed with you may hope and be sure that the day is coming when suffering will be no more, but singing will last forever. Let's pray. So, Father, my prayer is simple. It is that when you ordain that we walk through a song silencing suffering, you would be our portion in the silence. And I pray that in the vast majority of our sad and sorrowful and suffering experiences, you would give us a faith-sustaining song. And I pray that you would thrill us, O God, with the hope and the certainty that because of Christ, the day will come when suffering will be no more, but singing will last forever to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.